This is the Bible in One Year Express, day 147. The Power of Unity In Buchenwald concentration camp, 56,000 people were put to death by a totalitarian regime that saw the Christian faith as a threat to its ideology. One block of cells in the camp was reserved for prisoners who were deemed especially dangerous or notable. Paul Schneider, a Lutheran pastor, who was called the Preacher Buchenwald, was placed in this special block because even from a small window in his cell, he loudly proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ in defiance of the orders of the Gestapo guards. Otto Neururer, a Catholic priest whose work on behalf of the Jews and other so-called undesirables had made him a threat to the Nazi warlords, was also put in this block. He too ministered in Jesus' name to his fellow inmates in the concentration camp until he was crucified, upside down. In unity, these two men, one a Catholic and the other a Protestant, bore witness together to their common Lord, Jesus Christ. Unity is so powerful. From Psalm 68 When you, God, went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth shook, the heavens poured down rain, before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. You gave abundant showers, O God. You refreshed your weary inheritance. Your people settled in it, and from your bounty, God, you provided for the poor. The people and the land. David reflects on the Exodus, Mount Sinai, and the conquest of Canaan. These were some of the high points of the history of the people of God, when they were genuinely united. This passage is all about recognizing where that blessing and unity ultimately come from, God. It is a psalm of thanksgiving and praise to God for all the things he's done. It celebrates his leadership, his power and provision, his generosity, his justice and his victories. God had led the people to the promised land. Yet today, in this very same area, the challenge of unity is great. The search for peace in the Middle East remains one of the greatest challenges facing our world. Lord, thank you for your love for everyone. I pray for peace and unity in the war-torn countries of the Middle East. Thank you that you are the source and foundation of unity. New Testament from John 17 I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they're still in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name You gave me, so that they may be one, as we are one. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, 
even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, so that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. The Church and the World In the Gospels we frequently read about the prayer life of Jesus, but only on rare occasions are we informed at any length of what he prayed for. In this great prayer of Jesus, before he goes out to face the cross, we see his priorities. Jesus prays not only for his disciples, but also for those who will believe in the future. That's to say, he prays for the entire church, which includes you and me. This prayer is dominated by the theme of unity. Jesus prays not only for unity among his disciples, but also for the church. He prays for a unity like that which unites the Trinity, that they may be one as we are one. First, the motive for unity is the Great Commission of Jesus. Jesus prayed for complete unity so that the world may believe and know unity with God. One of the greatest barriers to belief is disunity in the church. In politics, the moment a political party becomes disunited, it loses popularity. It happens in the secular world and even more so in the church. Jesus says that he protected his disciples and kept them safe so that they may be one. Now he prays, protect them from the evil one who will seek to divide them. When churches fight each other, people lose interest. Conversely, when churches do unite, it is so attractive. It is the source of joy. The followers of Jesus are not supposed to be miserable. Jesus prays, that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Joy comes from unity. Disunity is a joy stealer. Unity is powerful. Second, the means of unity is the Holy Spirit of Jesus. Jesus prays for your holiness. Jesus prays, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Holiness comes from the truth. The truth is found in God's word. That is why it's so important to soak yourself in God's word. Holiness comes as you welcome the Holy One, the Spirit of Truth, who comes to dwell within you. Jesus prays 
that I myself may be in them. This is the most extraordinary truth of the New Testament, that Jesus comes to live in you by the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit lives in all Christians of whatever church or denomination. The Holy Spirit unites us. Third, the mark of unity is the love of Jesus. Jesus prays that the love you have for me may be in them. What higher love can you have than the love that God the Father has for Jesus, his Son? Jesus' prayer for you is that you should have the same love that God the Father has for Jesus in your heart for other Christians, for other parts of the body of Christ. Fourth, the measure of unity is the visibility of Jesus. Sometimes people speak about invisible unity. But Jesus didn't pray for invisible unity, nor did he pray that we might be almost united. He prays that we may be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me. He wants the church to be completely and visibly united. One day, it will be. In the meantime, as we build bridges, work together and come together with other Christians from different parts of the church, as hearts and minds are bonded together in communion with Jesus, we can see, as in Buchenwald, visible signs of our invisible unity. Lord, thank you for the way the Holy Spirit is drawing us together. May we see increasing signs of visible unity so that the world will believe. Old Testament from 1 Samuel 19 and 20 Jonathan said to David, Go in peace for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. The friends and rivals. In politics, business, and even in church life, two people who are great friends can at the same time end up competing for the same job. How should we handle the tension between our ambitions and our friendships. The friendship between David and Jonathan was remarkable. They were rivals for the throne. They had every reason to be envious of each other and to hate each other. Yet, Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. This type of love, which Jesus commanded, is the highest love one person can have for another. On the other hand, Saul was filled with jealousy. Jealousy starts with comparing ourselves to others comparing our achievements with those around us. Jealousy has the power to deprive someone temporarily of their senses. When Jonathan points out to his father, Saul, that David has not wronged him and has benefited him greatly, and it would be quite wrong to kill an innocent man, Saul says, as surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. Logic and reasonable argument may convince a person who's filled with jealousy at the time. However, jealousy is so powerful that once it gets a grip of a person, as it did with Saul, there's no stopping it. As Shakespeare put it in Othello, it is the green-eyed monster that doth mock the meat it feeds on. David and Jonathan loved each other. Jonathan was very fond of David, and he spoke well of David. Jonathan even said to David, Whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. What a great commitment to make to a friend. Their commitment to each other took the form of a covenant which included even their descendants, and Jonathan made David affirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him 
as he loved himself. As a result of his jealousy, Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan. Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David, and he got up from the table in fierce anger. The difference between Saul's anger and Jonathan's anger was that Saul's was unfounded and produced by jealousy. Jonathan's anger was righteous anger. He was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. Anger is not always wrong, but examine your motives carefully. David and Jonathan were not ashamed of showing their affection for each other. They kissed each other and wept together. Crying can be seen by some as showing weakness, but they had no shame in crying openly and showing their love for each other. This is a powerful model of friendship, love and unity. Marriage is one of God's answers to loneliness. Close friendship is another. It was this love and friendship that enabled Jonathan to be totally loyal, supportive and protective in spite of the fact that he was a rival candidate to the throne. Lord, help us to be willing and able to love our friends and neighbours as ourselves. May people find the answer to loneliness in the love, affection and unity of church community. Pippa adds, In 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 1, it says, Saul told Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan was fond of David and warned him. David was having a tough time, as many of us have experienced over the last months. He had been faithfully serving God and Saul his king. Yet whatever he did, he couldn't please his boss. The only thing David could do was to keep on doing what was right. He didn't seek revenge or justice. Eventually God did vindicate him, and he will vindicate us.